for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay, joined by a Hall of Famer today from the class of 87. That will be Rob or Rusty the Bailiff Burrell. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jag. So how does a kid from Fargo end up at Syracuse? And of course, you didn't have the shock that all of us had with weather, but how does that start? Well, uh, actually, you know, I wanted to get into communications. At least I thought I did in high school. And my mom helped research some colleges, and then she actually found Syracuse, and we applied, and uh, I got in. So I'm off, off east. <laughs> Jumped on the stagecoach, headed to the train station. No, it wasn't quite that long ago, but <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I was one of the very few kids from North Dakota that's ever gone to school there. So I'm actually surprised you said kids plural. All right, well, there you go. And <laughs> had you get a chance to see the campus before you went, or was it like show up at the end of August and good luck? Um, well, my mom and I went out, and we did a tour, and uh, did the whole deal. Yeah, it was great. Went to a basketball game, sat in the nosebleeds. There you go. And it was fun. Yeah. So how did you find WJPZ once you got to campus? Um, You know, I'm trying to remember. I knew you were going to ask me that. I believe I discovered it in my second semester freshman year. I don't remember exactly how, but okay. it sounded kind of cool to me. I'd done some announcing uh, for high school PA stuff for my high school basketball games back in Fargo. when, uh, And so I kind of was into the announcing thing and thought, radio be cool. So bumped into it and it was right around the time where um, not long after that, we went live on FM. So I got to kind of be there for that experience, which was pretty cool. What are your memories of that big moment in the station's history? I just, you know, I remember being in the studio on the other side of the glass and I was pretty young. I was still a freshman or early sophomore. And, and I just remember Mossman, Chris Mossman going on the mic and flipping to FM and, and being able to, I, I mean, I could see it in my mind right now. The stage that was set that day uh, was pretty cool. A lot of celebrating, some, uh, I believe some champagne corks popped and uh, it was a lot of fun. Excellent. So what was your involvement with the station? What are the roles you held there for those who don't know you? So I started out, uh, my first shift was an overnight, like most people start. Mm -hmm. And uh, I moved into a daytime or evening shift. And then I got the uh, chief announcer job was my first kind of major job with the, so I ran the schedule of all the jocks. Yep. Which, as you know, is is like putting a jigsaw puzzle together because there's so many on-air people, which is great. I was a chief announcer myself. You're preaching to the choir, yeah? Yeah, part of why we were there, right? Yeah. And then I moved from there into station manager. And uh, so I worked um, uh, station manager when Mark Bokoff was general manager. And then my senior year, second semester, I took over as general manager for my last semester at school. So I got to do a few different things, which was pretty cool. And you worked on the programming in the sales side. Do I have that right? No, I never was in programming. I mean, I did I did on air, but I was never into programming or I never did music or anything like that. I mean, on air, yeah. And uh, I did not technically do sales, although that's what I ended up getting into eventually in my radio career. Oh, that's right. Because I pinged Matt Friedman uh, before we sat down and he was like, to ask him how a, a radio guy, on air guy became so great at sales. <laughs> 
<laughs> it did happen. What are some of the names of the folks that you remember working with at the station that you haven't mentioned already that come to mind that you learned from or became lifelong friends with, folks that really stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, I the people I've stayed you know most in contact with over the years, uh, in, at least in my generation, are you know Scotty Bergstein, Carl Weinstein, Scotty Meach. You know, Kevin's a little bit younger, but Kevin Rich, I've stayed in touch with. Um, Danny Corson. Oh, yeah. You know, those are the guys that, you know, that I guess maybe I was probably tightest with. But, you know, I go way back with, you know, ERR and and uh, Diamond Jimmy Ryan and some really, really talented DJs, you know, Benny Green and uh, Reggie Rouse and, and, you know, some others that were, you know, really good back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Bruce, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he did the love flight on Sunday nights. He was awesome. But those are the guys I'd probably stay in touch with the most. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, try to get back to banquets so we can see each other. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, Carl and I, uh, both, uh, you know, kids go through Syracuse. Um, that's been fun to share those experiences and be able to have our kids come to the banquets with us and experience, you know, what we went through. And that was fun. And not only did you have one kid go to Syracuse, you had two kids go to Syracuse, your daughter previously and your son currently. Yes, correct. So we just moved him back right before Christmas. He's out of his house and off to L.A. and just he's in orientation this week. He starts classes and an internship on uh, next week. Worth mentioning is a timestamp we're recording this, of course, in January. What's that like for you where I imagine you want them to go to the place that's right for them, but you got a little bit of orange in your heart and then you get two kids going to school and get to share that same experience? It was pretty special for my wife and I because, you know, we met there. So we obviously both went there as well. And, you know, they had gotten to go back to the school, you know, a few times over the years when they were younger. And when we my wife and I would go back for different events or JPZ banquets or whatever it might be. And and uh, so they kind of got a taste for it early on. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was their decision. So there was no no pressure on our part. We made sure they applied to other schools and, um, you know, looked at their opportunities. But at the end of the day, they both wanted to go to Syracuse and they both got in on their own merits and uh yeah we were pretty excited i mean we had uh, this is actually the last year actually my son andy is in the syracuse la program this semester so he's he's off campus um but we had pretty much eight years in a row where we had a student there which is pretty cool i've got to imagine you've had some interesting conversations with both your kids about what it was then versus now Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, just the, the physical nature of the campus has changed so much. I mean, not the core, yeah, uh, the core buildings and so, but there's so many new cool buildings and, you know, academics and, you know, Marshall Street's changed so much. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of, a, it's been amazing to watch, you know, the property get built around there, you know, new housing things going up everywhere. And it's different that way just to see, see the changes on campus. You know, the Greek system is a lot smaller than it was back then when I was there, especially on the fraternity side, which which is too bad. But yeah, it's definitely different, but there's still that cool Syracuse vibe when you're on campus that continues, which is great. Awesome. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Well, let's turn to your career now, Rusty. Or I don't know if they call you Rusty or Rob. I feel like we all have so many different names that we go by. Uh, 
<laughs> you can call me Rusty. That's fine. Rusty, take me through your career uh, since graduating, because you've done some pretty incredible things in the time since you've been out. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I jumped right into radio after college. I stayed in it. I I got a more uh, an after late afternoon uh, gig was my first gig up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, of all places, which is. Mm-hmm even farther away than Fargo and colder. <laughs> uh, I spent about 11 months there. And then I got an offer to do a morning show on a station called 92 Moose in Augusta, Maine. <laughs> I've heard of that station. I grew up in New England. Okay. Yeah, the moose is loose. <laughs> I did a morning show there. It was actually, it was over a pretty brief time. I was there and, you know, the bombing of Pan Am 103 happened while I was in Maine doing that gig. And, you know, which I I know you wanted to maybe chat a little bit about. We can do that. But I had an opportunity arise after that, you know, horrible incident happened late 89 and to come back to Minnesota and do a programming gig, program director at a Mm -hmm. a couple smaller markets just south of Minneapolis. So the company that I worked for in Grand Forks owned these stations in southern Minnesota. Of course, you know, I wanted to be a program director. So I'm like, I'm coming back to Minnesota. And um, I did that for seven and a half years. And then I dabbled a little bit in sales while I was there just to try to make some extra money. And then uh, I got an offer. Uh, A friend of mine told me about a job opening at uh, the legendary KDWB Top 40 Contemporary Hit Station in Minneapolis that she worked at. And so I applied and I got the job. So I kind of hung up my headphones, which was a little weird at the time because I'd been on air and doing programming for, you know, gosh, 11, 12 years, I think at that point, counting JPZ. And uh, got into sales, was still around the whole radio vibe and got to have fun with all the events and things going on and sell promotions. And so I, I really never looked back um, uh, as far as that goes. Let me stop you there for a second, Rusty, because I've got, I've got to imagine that's a bit of a conflict or a trade-off. I mean, anybody who's worked in CHR knows KDWB is one of the most legendary top 40 stations in the country. And here it is. You get to go to this big station in the closest big city to where you grew up, but it's on the sales side. So I got to imagine that was a little bit weird for you. Yeah, it was weird. Took some getting used to, but, uh, you know, I got to be around some pretty cool air talent. I mean, Tony Fly, still one of the top guys. Dave Ryan came when I was there. He's still doing the morning show today after, Mm -hmm. I don't know how many years now, 25, 30 years. He's been around forever. And, uh, you know, I got to work with some really talented salespeople and managers and promotions people. And just being around it all, I made the adjustment pretty quickly. I mean, it didn't take long. And, uh, you know, once you start making a little money, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is good. I like this. <laughs> so I did that for six years. Then I moved into sales management. I uh, took a local sales manager job at our country station, which is also one of the top country stations in the United States, K102, KEY uh, in Minneapolis. I did that for mm-hmm. six years, got to dab a little bit with our sports station, KFAN, KFAN. Yep. And then I, uh, uh, my boss took off and had moved over to CBS radio, still CBS at the time uh, in Minneapolis and had WCCO, Jack FM and W Light uh, was a light station that eventually flipped to a country format called Buzzin. So I got the director of sales job there. So I had to oversee three stations, you know, a couple sales staffs. I had six managers at one point, and uh, I did that for five. And then I, I, uh, I guess I got to the point where I was a little bit done with the big corporate radio world at that time. It wasn't as much fun as it used to be. Understood. And uh, an old radio boss of mine, actually, who hired me at KDWB, had bought mm-hmm. the company I'm at now. 
now Ron Share Productions, which is an outdoor television production company. And uh, he uh, asked me if I wanted to join the team and run the sales organization. And uh, we danced for about eight, uh, six, eight months. <laughs> and all of a sudden we got it figured out. So I've been here now. Gosh, it'll be nine years in April. So it's been a cool experience uh, to do this. And I've gotten to do, actually, gotten to do a lot of voiceover work here. I voice over quite a few commercials that we produce and some other video projects. So I've gotten to get back into that a little bit, which has been fun. I get to utilize my headphones every once in a while, too. Outdoor production. I've got to imagine that comes with its own set of challenges, particularly where you are now in Minnesota. Yeah, but we shoot, you know, we have uh, we have seven different shows that we produce that run on, you know, local networks here in Minnesota, regional sports networks and some national networks uh, and in Canada as well, along with Amazon Prime, YouTube, etc. So we shoot a lot of different outdoor content, not just hunting and fishing, but all sorts of different activities and we do a lot of storytelling in our shows, so it's uh, it's pretty fun, um, and we we produce some pretty cool, amazing content. We got some really talented people. With the production that you're talking about, that leads me to my next obvious question, which is, how did what you learned at WJPZ inform and help you to where you are now? Well, you know, I go back to the basics of working um, at a radio station like that. I mean, everybody works hard. So you, you learn work ethic really early yeah. and you're not getting paid. You're doing it for passion. And, you know, you get to wear a lot of hats in that job. And, you know, when you get into the real world and, you know, jobs that I've been in, especially the one I'm in now, I, I wear a lot of hats and you're, you got to be able to multitask and cover off on different fronts. And you learn a lot of that. And uh, just, you know, being in the media business and learning how that works, you know, it's it's a big advantage in that everybody on my sales staff came from a radio background, including my boss and my four salespeople that work for me are all former radio sellers. And it's the the learning the sales process and working at some great stations. And, you know, you learn a lot and it's applicable in a lot of other industries and especially this one, because it's still still tied to media in some respects. And you all come in speaking the same language. has got to be great. Exactly. All right. So I appreciate you willing to talk about this topic. It's obviously uh, a big, significant part of the history of WJPZ. And that is, of course, the bombing of Pan Am 103. And of course, your brother on that flight. I, I don't really know how to start asking you this question. So I guess I'll just ask you to, to sort of take me through those events as best you're able to and comfortable doing. No, I'm happy to do that. Uh, you know, we just came up on the 34th anniversary here back on December 21st. Yeah. And uh, obviously there was some news around that with an arrest and extradition to the U.S., and mm-hmm. which is pretty significant milestone. So I uh, and typically when a, an event pops up, whether it was when Gaddafi was killed or usually I get uh, some of the news, news outlets in town between Fargo and Minneapolis uh, know me and know I'm here. So I usually get calls and I usually end up doing a few interviews. So I'm always happy to talk about it and keep it top of mind. And it happened so long ago. And I really like what the university has done over the years. They've done a really, really good job of that with the uh, Remembrance Scholarship Program, which my daughter was fortunate enough to be involved in that and be awarded one, um, which was pretty cool a few years ago. Wow. We all went back for Remembrance Week, which was, was pretty neat. So, yeah, I mean, it obviously was a you know horrible event. I was in Maine at the time. I was out of school. I wasn't at the radio station, but I know that the station did an amazing job of covering it and uh, in the news. And it's um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a horrible thing. But the fact that they've continued to uh, pursue it, you know, the government and Bill Barr and the, the presidential administrations, 
continue to bring people to justice is pretty remarkable. The country of Scotland and the Scottish authorities have been nothing but remarkable over the years, from the beginning, from the day it happened until now. And uh, it's good that it that stays in the news and people understand what happened so long ago and how significant of a tragedy it was in, in the history of our country and still the largest loss of life in the UK on UK soil uh, to date. Wow, I did not know that. And it's interesting perspective as we talk to so many different generations of folks uh, from WJPZ, you think about things that are, you know, that, that you experience. I know for me, I had just turned eight when Pan Am 103 was blown up. And so I got to Syracuse and I had read it in a history book. I wasn't super familiar with it. And then, yep. you know, learning about the events and then learning that if you become one of these remembrance scholars at Syracuse, it is one of the absolute most sacred high honors that you can achieve as a student at the university. And so your point is well taken about what a great job Syracuse has done uh, in that regard. Yep. So you're in Maine and is it family you're talking to at that point? Is it the staff at the station you're having any contact with? I mean, how, did, how does this play? out for you? Well, I, I found out about it. Um, I was working out at the YMCA and I uh, was passed by a television outside the locker room when I was heading out late afternoon and or mid afternoon. I did morning show at that time. And mm-hmm. I saw something on the TV that looked weird. I saw flames and something had blown up. I didn't really, it didn't put two and two together. I walked upstairs to the front door to leave and my morning show partner was standing there and I'm like, uh, she had a weird look on her face. Said, "This is something's something's wrong here." So okay. she just basically said, "We got to go back to your apartment. You got to call your parents." Ugh. And I I kept thinking, you know, maybe they're calling to tell me my brother's not on that plane because I was trying to figure the timing out in my head. I knew he was flying back that day and he was coming through New York. And anyway, so obviously it didn't go that way. It went the other direction. But I uh, I do recall uh, people from the station reaching out to me, you know, probably that same group I just mentioned a while ago that I work closely with um, and still stay in contact with. And uh, yeah, I was on a plane the next day back, you know, I was just back in Fargo. I was actually back there for a wedding before Christmas, uh, Mm -hmm. the week before it happened. I was back in Fargo with my family pretty quickly and, you know, got through all the, you know, everything we had to get through the funeral and all the stuff you, you know, don't want to do. But uh, yeah, then I, uh, I forged back to Maine and, wrote out that job till I got the offer to come back to Minnesota. So it was, um, it was nice to be back a little closer to my parents because we were, you know, my sister and I were both so far away. My sister lived out of town as well. Um, I believe she was in Chicago at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was nice to be clo- a little closer to home, which was good for them too. Again, it was it's the JPZ family and it literally was family for you in that instance. So I appreciate you just taking a few minutes to, to recall that story for us. Yeah. Let me turn it back around before we wrap up. Absolutely. Are there any stories that you remember from your time at the radio station that still crack you up to this day? Any funny moments that you can still laugh at over a beer keg? <laughs> You're already laughing, so you, you got me optimistic here. <laughs> We had a lot of fun with Mark Bokoff. He was the GM at the time, and he wanted to be on air. And God bless Mark. I love him to death. (laughs) And I stay in touch with him on social media. And uh, he wanted an air shift, and uh, he wasn't that good on air. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was still the chief announcer when he either was station manager or became general manager. So I scheduled him in a 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. slot. Yeah. And I remember him calling me or coming to the station. He's like, there's no way I'm going to be working that 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. shift. And he was grumbling about it. I'm like, well, you know, that's the only slot I got. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Did he end up doing the shift? I think he did a few shifts, and then he realized that maybe that wasn't for him, and I'm going to stick to the business side. 
It's funny, we see over the years the folks that worked at the station and did tremendous things, contributed to the radio station, but were not on the air. And I feel like there are some who were like, nope, not my thing, not touching with a 10-foot pole. And then there are some who are like, oh, let me try this and, and find out for myself if I'm cut out for it or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I also, I mean, I got to watch some really good jocks, you know, do the uh, the afternoon drive shift and the 5 o'clock party deal, yep. uh, zappy hour, whatever we used to call it, you know, watching, yep, yep. watching Hot Shots, Scott do a show, watching EWR do a show, just their gyrations and the movements and, you know, the, <laughs> the way that just the whole physical part of it, not just what they were saying, but to actually watch them do it through the glass would really crack me up. You are a radio veteran because on an audio podcast, you are painting quite the picture. Well done, sir. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today, Rusty. Appreciate you. Always enjoy seeing you in Syracuse, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Jag. Appreciate it. I'll see you in March. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.